Chapter Twenty Three of the Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter Twenty Three. At daylight, Jonathan Zane rolled from his snug bed of leaves under the side of a log, and with the flint, steel, and punk he always carried, began building a fire. His actions were far from being hurried. They were deliberate, and seemed strange on the part of a man whose stern face suggested some dark business to be done. When his little fire had been made, he warmed some slices of venison which had already been cooked, and thus satisfied his hunger. Carefully extinguishing the fire and looking to the priming of his rifle, he was ready for the trail. He stood near the edge of the cliff, which he could command a view of the glen. The black, smoldering ruins of the burned cabins defaced the picturesque scene. Brant must have lit out last night, for I could have seen even a rabbit hiding in that laurel patch. He's gone, and it's what I wanted, thought the borderman. He made his way slowly around the edge of the enclosure and clambered down on the splintered cliff at the end of the gorge. A wide, well-trodden trail extended into the forest below. Jonathan gave scarcely a glance to the beaten path before him, but bent keen eyes to the north and carefully scrutinized the mossy stones along the brook. Upon a little sandbar running out from the bank he found the light imprint of a hand. It was a black night. He'd have to travel by the stars, and north the only safe direction for him, muttered the borderman. On the bank above he found oblong indentations in the grass barely perceptible, but owing to the particular position of the blades of grass, easy for him to follow. He'd better have learned to walk light as an engine before he took to outlawn, said the borderman in disdain. Then he returned to the gorge and entered the enclosure. At the foot of the little rise of ground where Wetzel had leaped upon his quarry was one of the dead Indians, another lay partly submerged in the brown water. Jonathan carried the weapons of the savages to a dry place under a projecting ledge in the cliff. Passing on down the glen, he stopped a moment where the cabins had stood. Not a log remained. The horses, with the exception of two, were tethered in the copse of laurel. He recognized Colonel Zane's thoroughbred and Betty's pony. He cut them loose, positive they would not stray from the glen, and might easily be secured at another time. He set out upon the trail of Brandt with a long, swinging stride. To him the outcome of the pursuit was but a question of time. The consciousness of superior endurance, speed, and craft spoke in his every movement. The consciousness of being in right, a factor so powerfully potent for victory, spoke in the intrepid front with which he faced the north. It was a gloomy November day. Gray, steely clouds drifted overhead. The wind wailed through the bare trees sending dead leaves scurrying and rustling over the brown earth. The borderman advanced with a step that covered glade and glen, forest and field, with astonishing swiftness. Long since he had seen that Brant was holding to the lowland. This did not strike him as singular until, for the third time, he found a trail led a short distance up the side of a ridge, then descended, seeking a level. With this discovery came the certainty that Brant's pace was lessening, he had set out with a hunter's stride, but it had begun to shorten. The outlaw had shirked the hills, 
and shifted from his northern course. Why? The man was weakening. He could not climb. He was favoring a wound. What seemed more serious for the outlaw was the fact that he had left a good trail and entered the low, wild land north of the Ohio. Even the Indians seldom penetrated this tangled belt of laurel and thorn. Owing to the dry season, the swamps were shallow, which was another factor against Brant. No doubt he had hoped to hide his trail by waiting, and here it showed up like the track of a bison. Jonathan kept steadily on, knowing the further Brant penetrated into this wilderness, the worse off he would be. The outlaw dared not take to the river until below Fort Henry, which was distant many a weary mile. The trail grew more ragged as the afternoon wore away. When twilight rendered further tracking impossible, the bordermans built a fire in a sheltered place, ate his supper, and went to sleep. In the dim, gray morning light he awoke, fancying he had been startled by a distant rifle shot. He roasted his strips of venison carefully and ate with a hungry hunter's appreciation, yet sparingly as benefited a borderman who knew how to keep up his strength upon a long trail. Hardly had he traveled a mile when Brant's footprints covered another's. Nothing surprised the borderman, but he had expected this least of all. A hasty examination convinced him that Leggett and his Indian ally had fled this way with Wetzel in pursuit. The morning passed slowly. The borderman kept to the trail like a hound. The afternoon wore on. Over sandy reaches thick with willows and through long matted dried-out cranberry marshes and copses of prickly thorn, the borderman hung to his purpose. His legs seemed never to lose their spring, but his chest began to heave, his head bent, and his face shone with sweat. At dusk he tired. Crawling into a dry thicket, he ate his scanty meal and fell asleep. When he awoke it was gray daylight. He was wet and chilled. Again he kindled a fire and sat over it while cooking breakfast. Suddenly he was brought to his feet by the sound of a rifle shot. Then two others followed in rapid succession. Though they were faint and far away to the west, Jonathan recognized the first, which could have come only from Wetzel's weapon, and he felt reasonably certain of the third, which was Brant's. There might have been, he reflected grimly, a good reason for Leggett's not shooting. However, he knew that Wetzel had rounded up the fugitives, and again he set out. It was another dismal day, such as one would be fitting for a dark deed of border justice. A cold, drizzly rain blew from the northwest. Jonathan wrapped a piece of oilskin around his rifle breech and faced the downfall. Soon he was wet to the skin. He kept on, but his free stride had shortened. Even upon his iron muscles the soggy, sticky ground had begun to tell. The morning passed, but the storm did not. The air grew colder and darker. The short afternoon would afford him little time, especially as the rain and running rills of water were obliterating the trail. In the midst of a dense forest of great cottonwoods and sycamores, he came upon a little pond, hidden among the bushes, and shrouded in a windy, wet gloom. Jonathan recognized the place. He'd been there in winter hunting bears when all the swampland was locked by ice. The bordermen searched along the banks for a time, then went back to the trail, patiently following it. Around the pond it led to the side of a great shelving rock. 
He saw an Indian leaning against this, and was about to throw forward his rifle when the strange, fixed position of the savage told of the tragedy. A wound extended from his shoulder to his waist. Nearby on the ground lay Liggett. He too was dead, his gigantic frame weltered in blood. His big feet were wide apart, his arms spread, and from the middle of his chest protruded the heft of a knife. The level space surrounding the body showed evidence of a desperate struggle. A bush had been rolled upon and crushed by heavy bodies. On the ground was blood as on the stones and leaves. The blade legged still clutched was red, and the wrist of the hand which held it showed a dark, discolored band, where it had felt the relentless grasp of Wetzel's steel grip. The dead man's buckskin coat was cut into ribbons. On his broad face, a demonical expression had set in eternal rigidity. The animal terror of death was frozen in his wide staring eyes. The outlaw chief had died as he lived, desperately. Jonathan found Wetzel's trail leading directly toward the river, and soon understood that the borderman was on the track of Brant. The borderman had surprised the worn, starved, sleepy fugitives in the gray, misty dawn. The Indian, doubtless, was the sentinel, and had fallen asleep at his post, never to awaken. Leggett and Brandt must have discharged their weapons ineffectively. Zane could not understand why his comrade had missed Brandt at a few rods' distance. Perhaps he had wounded the younger outlaw, but certainly he had escaped while Wetzel had closed in on Leggett to meet the hardest battle of his career. While going over his version of the attack, Jonathan followed Brant's trail, as had Wetzel, to where it ended in the river. The old borderman had continued on downstream along the sandy shore. The outlaw remained in the water to hide his trail. At one point Wetzel turned north. This move puzzled Jonathan, as did also the peculiar tracks. It was more perplexing, because not far below Zane discovered where the fugitive had left the water to go around a ledge of rock. The trail was approaching Fort Henry. Jonathan kept on down the river until arriving at the head of the island which lay opposite the settlement. Still no traces of Wetzel. Here Zane lost Brant's trail completely. He waded the first channel, which was shallow and narrow, and hurried across the island. Walking out upon a sandbar, he signaled with his well-known Indian cry. Almost immediately came an answering shout. While waiting, he glanced at the sand, and there, pointing straight toward the fort, he found Brant's straggling trail. End of chapter 23